Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If, if you're new with us, I uh, just want to welcome you personally. I would love to meet you after the service. I'm always in the back right after, and so I'd love to talk and, and, and switch you over to our Connect desk and, and let you know how we can connect you to this church family. We don't want you to just attend on a Sunday. We, we want you to be a part of what God's doing throughout the week and throughout the year at Phoenix Bible Church. So, so welcome. Uh, glad you guys are here. As you uh, show up today, you're in the last part of our series called Pray First. Uh, some of you have gotten this prayer guide and you've been going through it with us. It's really special. It's written by a lot of people in our church. If you didn't, grab one. I don't know if we have any of the physical copies left, but we do have one online, phoenixbiblechurch.com. Go to Pray First and you can download one. Uh, this week, we'll follow along with this sermon. And so I encourage you to follow along with us as we finish strong in this series on prayer. And I hope that you've grown through this, right? I hope that we didn't just do uh, a cute sermon series and throw some nice graphics on the screen and, and say, pray first, and, and it just became a lingo. I hope you actually prayed, right? I hope you grew in your prayer life, your reliance upon God over these last four weeks or so that we've been in this. I hope those of you that have fasted uh, from something, you, you replace something in your life with God so that you can, you can pray first and go to him. I hope you've seen God strengthen you in that. But here's what I know. I know that even in a series where we're called to pray, we're called to fast, we're called to focus on God intentionally, that a lot of us struggle to actually pray. Right? A lot of us struggle to actually Go to God, and maybe some of you are newer to church, newer to Jesus, and you think, pray first. That's a good idea. I I'm going to try that. But what happened is you got through your week, and maybe on Wednesday morning, you thought, pray first, but I, I don't want to pray. I, I just don't feel like praying right now. I'm just not into prayer right now. I mean, some things are happening in my life that are kind of confusing, throwing me off. I don't know if I want to go to God right now. Can we just be honest for a second? It's church, right? We should be honest, just, just FYI. We don't always want to pray first. We don't always want to pray at all. I experienced this in my life. And some of you are thinking, no, 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 Tim, you're a pastor. I mean, it's not difficult for you to pray first. I'm a pastor, but I'm a person too, right? And so there's times where I don't always want to pray. There's times where it feels like my prayers are butting up against the ceiling, where I don't feel like God is excited to hear from me, that he wants to answer my, answer my prayers. There's times like that for me, and I know there's times like that for you. And especially in my life, I notice this in times of trouble, in times of pain, and in times of confusion. Have you been in that spot? Maybe some of you are in that spot right now where you, you're not excited about praying to God because there's some pain in your life. There's some confusion in your life. There's some difficulty in your life that is inhibiting that desire to go to God first. And I don't mean just confusion like your team is not in the Super Bowl today. Right? I, I know that's, that's a, a stress in a lot of your lives. It is mine too, I confess. The Cowboys, I don't want to talk about it. But, but I mean bigger things, right? Like those times in your life where there just seems to be a gap between what you know about God and what you feel in the moment. Those times when, when there's a gap between what you read about God's promises in his word and the pain you are experiencing in the moment. Those times where you ask the question, why? 
God, why am I in this health situation? Why am I in this financial difficulty? Why does my life seem void of relationships with, with others, but also with you? Why? Where it just seems like those times where it just seems like there's a puzzle piece that's just missing in your life. It just doesn't seem like it fits. Like we have on the sermon graphic, there's, there's just times where we're confused and we don't want to pray. And so we're going to address that. We're going to look at Psalm 42 and see how do we pray when we don't want to. How do we pray in the midst of confusion? So I'd invite you to look at it with me, Psalm 42. Ron just read it, uh, but I do encourage you to follow along. Grab a Bible. If you don't have one, look near you. There should be a, a hard black uh, Bible right next to you. You can grab that one. You can follow along on the screen with us. But as we, as we look at this psalm, we, we don't know who the specific author is. Uh, as you read a lot of the psalms, a lot of them are written by King David. Uh, we don't know who the author is of this one, but we do know he's in a tough spot, right? If you just listened, hopefully you listened while Ron read, he's, he's in a tough spot. And what I love about the psalms is we get a behind-the-scenes look at this tough spot. Uh, that's what psalms are. If you're newer to the Bible, they're a different type of scripture and literature where these are poetic prayers unto God. They're songs unto God, typically in the midst of intense situations, like good or bad, they're intense situations. And the psalmist gives us a behind the scenes into his conversation with God. And so we have the opportunity this morning to learn from his experience in our own Confusion. So that's what we're going to do. If you take notes, uh, this is where we're going. Uh, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the reality he's experiencing. We're going to look at the reason for it. And we're going to look at the remedy for it as well. So the reality, the reason, and the remedy for this season that this psalmist is in. First, the reality. Uh, he's in a dry place. Uh, it just starts out in verse 1. Look at that verse with me. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. Now, some of you grew up singing a song like this in church, right? And, and as, you, as you sang, as the deer panted for the water, so my soul. Yeah, maybe you didn't grow up singing that song. That's okay. Maybe you have no idea, and, and my song singing it didn't help you have an idea. And, and that's totally fine, but, but I think for us who grew up in church who, who sang this song, if you're like me, when I sang this song, As the Deer Panted for the Water, I began to picture a, a calm deer frolicking in the grass next to streams of water. It was like Bambi, right? And I, I'm singing this song. It's so peaceful. It's so reflective. But as you look at the actual text that that song is based off of, it's not peaceful at all, right? Look at the text with me. He's panting twice. He says, as, I, as the deer pants for water, flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, oh God. Just think about panting. Like, when do you pant for water? When you don't have it, right? When you don't know if you're going to get it. Like, I don't know about you, when I'm just thirsty, I grab a bottle of water. Right? When I have water next to me in the fridge and I'm thirsty, I just, I just pour a glass and I start drinking water. But when I'm panting, it's a different story. I, I hiked uh, Camelback Mountain uh, a few weeks ago, and as I was hiking it, because I'm a, a professional, I brought one bottle of water <laughs> right, in the desert in Phoenix. 
And, and I, I, I went through that bottle of water, as you can imagine, before I even got to the top, right? And I was thirsty, and, and, and my thirst went to uh, more extreme, to, to panting, especially as I looked around and saw all the professionals with little backpacks on their back with a never-ending water supply. It's called the Camelback, and they have a nice little straw. And they can just sip on that straw, that never-ending water supply, hike up that mountain, just having a, a good old time, right? And I would see those people, those professional hikers with the camelback and the straw and drinking this water, and I would think, that must be nice. I don't have that. I don't know when I'm going to get that. It's going to take me a while to hike down this mountain to get some water. I was, I was panting for water. And so as we look at this psalm, it's not a, a cute, reflective, peaceful moment. We're going to see as we look at this, this is a chaotic time, not just externally, but internally, that he is disrupted in his soul. Three times in this passage, he says that, uh, why are you so cast down, my soul? My soul is cast down. That this is a, a chaotic time. It's an anxious time. That as you look at the whole of Psalms, this is the opposite of Psalm, 120, uh, of Psalm 23. Do you know that psalm? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down by green pastures and by still waters. It's a peaceful psalm. What he is experiencing in the midst of this is the opposite of that, right? It's not the, it's not the coffee cup verse. It's not the, the verse on your, your bookmark. He's experiencing chaos within himself. It's a time of deep, deep confusion. And as we look at that, why, why is he confused? Let's, let's look at it together. Verse 3, we see that he's crying. Uh, he's crying a lot. If you look at the verse, what does it say his tears are like? Look at the verse with me. What does it say his tears are like? It's like food. His tears are like his food. That this is affecting how he eats. And so maybe he's not eating much. Maybe he's not eating at all. But he's, he's eating his tears like they're his food. And it's not just affecting his mealtime. Notice, look at the verse again. This is day and night. It's affecting his sleep, right? It's day and night. He's crying all day and night. He's not eating well. He's not sleeping well. And listen, you know this. When you're not sleeping well, that throws everything off, right? New moms, can I get an Amen. Right? I mean, when you're not sleeping well, my kids aren't sleeping well. We're, we're not new parents. We have three kids. But uh, for whatever reason, God's designed to humble us. None of them are sleeping right now. And so one of them is, is coughing. One of them is crying. One of them is getting in bed with us every night at about 2 a.m. And we're not sleeping. It's awful. It throws off everything. It's like a three-prong attack against us, Right? When you're not sleeping, that affects everything. When you're not eating, that affects everything. That's what this guy is experiencing right now. This is a real situation. It's a real person who writes this in the midst of a real situation. Sometimes you have to remind yourself of that, don't you? As you read the Bible, you think, well, that was written a long time ago. I mean, that doesn't relate to my situation. I mean, he probably didn't experience the hardship I've experienced in life. I mean, goodness, look at our world today. You need to know that he did, that he does. That as you read this, that's what's so great about the Psalms, is we get this behind-the-scenes look at what he's actually experiencing, the depths of his soul, 
We get his conversation, his very conversation with God. And you get to look and peek into that so that we can learn from that. As we keep going, looking at it, look at verse 4. Some of what's going on here is relational. That he used to lead this community, this multitude, it says, of people to the house of God, to worship God with glad shouts and songs of praise. He's reflecting on this, this time in his life previously where he worshiped God with all these other people. It was a special moment in his life. And as I, I read this and looked at, looked at commentators who talked about this, some of them would debate, like, is this bringing him joy? Like, is this a good thing? Is this a principle we should take away? Like, you should, in times that are hard, you should remember older times that were good. And there was debate of, like, is this bringing him joy? Is it bringing him sorrow? Because it's kind of hard to tell. But as I looked at it, I think it's both, right? I mean, you've experienced this in your life where, where maybe you're going through a tough time. Maybe you're going through a time where you don't have those relationships in your life. You're not worshiping God as you did before. But you think about a few years ago or when you were in college or when you were in high school or when you first got married and you think about, man, I remember that time when I had all these relationships around me and I had this vertical relationship with God that was so vibrant and it was such a a sweet time and in that moment you get a little bit of joy, don't you? But if you don't have it right now, you get a little bit of sadness as well. That's what he's experiencing. I remember this great time with all these people worshiping God, but I don't have that right now. I don't have those people. I'm not in the house of God right now that he's in a spiritually dry season. He's wanting to go to God. He's talking to God, but it doesn't always feel like God is there. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you are are here today. You're thinking, I'm going to get back in church. It's the new year. I'm going to get back in my relationship with Jesus, Uh, but you just don't feel it. Like when we're singing those songs and Bradley says, hey, sing this out, you're just like, I don't I just, I just don't feel it right now. It doesn't feel like God is meeting us here in this moment. You want God to do that, but it doesn't, doesn't feel like that he is. That's what the psalmist is experiencing. It's a, it's a dry season. Verse 6, we get some more reasons why he's in this dry season. It goes through some geography that he seems to be away from his home. Verse 7, he's overwhelmed. Earlier you see a drought. Now you see he's drowning. Do you see that in verse 7? It's like he's trying to keep his head above water. And if all that's not bad enough, he's being taunted. Verse 3 and verse 10 tell us this. He says, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? There's an implication there. People are coming around him, taunting him. Where is your God? Why are you experiencing this hardship? If you really followed God, this shouldn't be happening to you. He's being taunted by that. The implication is God isn't there. You're not following God. God isn't with you. It's not just a question. It's an accusation. He's experiencing all of this in this moment, and it's leading him to deep despair. He's dry. He's in despair. That's the situation that we're in. That's his reality that he's letting us into this morning. And so our second point is the reason. Why? Why does this happen to him? 
Why does this happen to you? Why does this happen to people who follow God? The first thing I want us to see is that it's not always sin. It's not always sin. Sometimes we assume that, right? Maybe you have experienced hardship, confusion, doubt in your life, difficulty, and you think, I must, I must have done something. God must be mad at me. I probably deserve this, right? Because something I did this week or something I did years ago, I probably deserve this in my marriage and my, my relationships and my job. I probably deserve this because of something I did. But notice as you look at this psalm, as you read through the whole of Psalm 42, there's no evidence of sin whatsoever in this psalm. doesn't mean there couldn't be and we just don't know about it. But just in this psalm, as we read it, there's no evidence of sin, right? There are psalms that are like that, though, right? Psalm 51, David writes a psalm and says, Blot out my transgressions, have mercy on me, O God. In Psalm 51, David is experiencing pain but it's self-inflicted. It's due to his own sin. We don't see that in this psalm. And so some of you are living godly lives. You're not perfect. You're following God. You're in church this morning because you want to follow God. You want to know God. But everything in your life isn't great. You need to know that you're in the right place, right? You've come to the exact right place That the church is not a place that you come to when you figure it all out. When you're walking with God perfectly, when everything in your life makes sense. It's the place that you turn to when you realize that you don't have it all figured out. You're in the right place. You need to be amongst the people of God. As this psalmist writes, one of the things he lamented earlier that we just talked about is he doesn't have the people of God in his life right now. You need to be here, even as you follow God and you want to do that, and you're trying to live a godly life, and everything in your life doesn't match up with that, you need to be in church around the people of God to be reminded that God is with you, that he's for you. So that when people like Job's friends in the Old Testament, when they come around and say, you must have done something, right? I mean, this doesn't happen to somebody just by happenstance. You must have done something to deserve it. You need to be around some godly people in your life who say, don't listen to that. That things happen in your life not because you sinned against God, but because we live in a broken world. There's lots of reasons why these things happen. I think just three. One is an unmet expectation. Unmet expectation. That maybe you're looking at your life right now and you're, you're saying, I thought things would be different than they are. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought we'd have kids by now. I I thought I would have gotten this promotion and been further in my career by now. But I'm not. And so it's unmet expectation in your life. And so you're feeling this sorrow, this confusion, this doubt, and this pain. For some of you, it's limited perspective. You just can't see the big picture, right? You're just like, man, I know this is hard. I know God probably has a purpose, but man, it's hard. Because I don't know what he's trying to do with this. I can't see 20 years down the road, even one year down the road, and and see like, oh, oh God, this is why you put this in my life. We can't see that. It's limited perspective, and it puts us in this season of dryness, of despair, of doubt. The last one is loss. Loss of a relationship, loss of a job. Loss of a loved one, 
can put us in these situations. Maybe you've experienced those things, even as we start the new year. You flipped the calendar and you thought, everything's going to be great. 2016, you suck. 2017, you're going to be so great. And you thought, the flip of the calendar, that's going to give everything a new perspective and make everything new in my life. And it didn't. Even as we start the new year, some of you have experienced limited perspective, unmet expectation, deep, deep loss. And that's part of why you're in this place. And as we're in that spot, we need to ask, God, what are you trying to do, right? We may not have the full picture, but we need to ask God, God, this is happening. I'm going to acknowledge it. What are you trying to teach me? And I think as we try to do that, that's hard for a lot of us, right? It's hard for us to ask that question in the midst of turmoil. What's the question we want to ask? God, when are you going to fix this? When are you going to resolve this? When are you going to heal this? A lot of us in the midst of real turmoil, in the midst of real need, we don't stop and contemplate, God, I just want to prayerfully come to you and ask, what do you want to teach me in this moment of deep pain, of misery? It's hard for us to ask that question. But in wisdom, we need to move toward asking that question. All right, because God is sovereign, God is in control, and he is trying to do something in your life. He's trying to form you in his image, even through the hardships. And so we need to ask, God, what are you trying to do in that moment? Just a few things that I'll give you. I think God does a lot in those moments, but just a few. One is he reveals false hopes. In these times of turmoil and confusion, he reveals false hopes, doesn't he? I mean, when you get that loss or that limited perspective or that unmet expectation of all those things that you dreamed of that get taken away or aren't what you think they should be, in that very moment, you feel like something is off and maybe I shouldn't be hoping in that. Maybe that job wasn't going to bring the satisfaction that I thought. Maybe finding a spouse isn't going to fix all my problems. And it reveals false hopes. But it doesn't just reveal false hopes. Like God is gracious to us, amen? God's gracious to us to reveal our false hopes, but also point us back to the the one true hope. Notice in this psalm, look at the text again. He prays for a lot of things. But he never asked God to change his circumstances. You notice that? Never once does he say, God, take this away from me. No, he says, God, why is this happening? Why are you so downcast, my soul? He talks to himself. He he looks to God, and he's praying to God in the midst of a time where he doesn't want to pray to God. He's trying to see, God, what are you teaching me through this? What's the purpose of all this? He doesn't ask for his circumstances to change. No, what does he ask for? He asks for God, God himself. Look at the text with me. Verse 6, he says, God, my salvation, my God. Verse 8, he says, to the God of my life. Verse 9, he calls God his rock. Verse 11, again, he says, my salvation and my God. Listen, I can't tell you why everything happens in your life. There's some difficult things that have happened to you that I don't know why they happen, right? As I talk to some of you guys, as as we've been a church over the last two and a half years, our church, people in our church, have experienced deep loss, deep turmoil. There's not a week that goes by that I don't talk to someone 
who's going through a difficult time, right? It, it happens. And listen, I can't tell you why every one of those things happen, but I can tell you one constant thread through all of those things is that God is drawing you to himself. God's drawing you to himself as the rock, as our salvation, as our God, that as he reveals those false hopes, he's, he's trying to reignite your one true hope in him, right? And that's what he's doing for this psalmist. And, and so we need to look at that, learn from that, and realize we need to have some people, some places, some passages that we look to that help us reignite our pursuit of our one true hope in God. They reignite a pursuit of, of God himself. And so recently, my family and I, we went to the, the park. And, and just by the way, if we're going to complain about Phoenix summers, we need to praise God for Phoenix winters. Amen? Like, people on the podcast listen to this, be jealous. I mean, it's like 70 degrees right now. I took my family to the park wearing flip-flops. Hallelujah. I mean, it's, it's February, and I was wearing flip-flops at the park, and we went to this one park east of the 51, Granada Park. It's an amazing place. Maybe you've been there, and there's this pond with ducks everywhere, and so my kids and I, we're walking along feeding the ducks. It's great. We're looking at this mountain that overshadows uh, the, the playground that we're playing on, and again, I'll just tell you, I had my flip-flops on. It was a beautiful time, and to be honest, in that moment, there was some confusion in my life. There was some trouble in my life. But as I got out there and saw the mountain and saw the pond and, and was with my family, it was just a place for me. And I don't know what that is for you. It was a place for me where I began to pursue God and think, God, you're big. God, you're, you're so good. I mean, we get to live in a place like this where in February we get to experience this. I mean, God, I looked at my kids and they're, they're smiling. And every time I would take a picture, they would just say, cheese. And I was just reminded, God, I need to pursue you. You're so good. You're so much bigger than my confusion. What is that for you? What are those places that you go to? What are those people? Who are those people that you go to that, that redirect you, that reframe your situation, that point you to God? What are those passages you go to? Listen, you don't need to just rely upon Sunday morning and me preaching to you to be reoriented in your pursuit of God. You need to have some passages that you go to during the week. You need to go to them and have them on hand. You need to memorize them. Last week, I asked you to memorize the Lord's Prayer. How many of you did that? Show of hands. Just kidding. <laughs> but memorize the Lord's Prayer. I, I, memorize scripture, have it on your mirror, have it on your dash so that you can go back to it. You need to have people, places, and passages where you are reignited in your pursuit of God. That you realize there are false hopes, but there's a one true hope that he's bigger than our confusion. You need to know when you do that, that doesn't just help you. That doesn't just reignite your pursuit of God. That helps other people. Right, you think about this? When you're going through a hardship and you persevere through that, you realize false hopes through that, you pursue the one true hope in God through that situation, your spouse gets to see that. Your friends get to see that. Our church gets to see that. Some of you have seen that in the lives of others. And what does it do for you? 
You think, man, if that guy in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his hardship can pursue God, man, I should be pursuing God. I mean, just look at this passage. This is one guy who's going through a hardship, who's going through a trial, through trouble, and he, he takes some time to, to write it down, to talk to God, to pursue God in the midst of it, to look at his one true hope in God. And all these years later, we're sitting here reading it, that there's a whole room of people right now. You can be encouraged by this guy and what God did in his life as he pursued his hope in God. You can be encouraged to pursue your hope in God. And so why do things happen? God's trying to draw you to himself. He's trying to use you to draw other people to himself. That's what he's doing. And so there's the reality of his situation. There's the reason why this is happening. And then finally, there's the remedy. To look at the remedy just real briefly, we have to look at some false remedies because so many of us go to false remedies in these situations. I'm just going to go through them really quickly. The first one I think a lot of us do is just suck it up. All right, suck it up. Times are hard. Suck it up. Have faith. Stop sinning. That's always so helpful, right? You just love those people in your life that point that out for you, right? Uh, you don't just tell yourself, suck it up. There's some people that come along to you and say, hey, hey, just suck it up. I know this happened. Suck it up. Not helpful, right? Not helpful, just so you know. The second one I think a lot of us go to is wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Uh, we think there's always a silver lining, one door, open, one door closes, a window opens, right? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that to somebody who's experiencing deep pain? Don't. Stop saying that. Right? That's a false remedy. Doesn't help. Number three, we go to distraction. We go to things like alcohol, like food, like social media, like sex, and we think, I just, I just need to be distracted. I mean, just for a moment, if I can escape this, then maybe it will go away. And just think about for a moment, all of us in here are bright people. You, you know it won't go away, right? You, you know it won't go away because you distract yourself, but you still do that. And, and then after you've distracted yourself, you come back to it and it's still there. It's a false remedy. The fourth one I think a lot of us go to, and maybe you've seen this, is we just check out, right? We just check out completely. We're experiencing hardship, and we just think, I don't know if I understand. I'm not going to take the time to try. I'm just going to disconnect from my faith, from God, from others. And so maybe this is a time in your life. You just, you just didn't show up to church for like a few months, right? You just disconnected. You just checked out. Maybe you've known people like this in your life. Maybe friends or family members. They just, I mean, I used to follow God, but I... I don't know, it just doesn't match up with my reality. There's a gap, right? And you just disconnect. I want you to think about this, especially today if you're in this spot. Maybe you're here today, but you're thinking about checking out because of some hardships in your past or in your present. I want you to think about this. When you do that, what changes? What changes? Does your situation get better? Do you somehow escape to planet paradise? No. No. You're still on planet Earth, a broken world with broken people and broken issues. You're just in that moment without God now. And so if you're thinking about checking out, don't. 
your situation's not going to go away. Your issues aren't going to disappear. They're still going to be there. You're just not going to have God to go to in the midst of that situation. That's a false remedy to think, I'm just going to check out. It's too hard. I'm going to disconnect from God. That's a false remedy. So what are the real remedies? I'm going to give you three. Uh, The real remedy is, the first one is study yourself. Examine contributing factors in your life. You may not find one direct cause of why you're experiencing this, but I guarantee you there are some contributing factors. There's physical, there's emotional, there's spiritual factors that are contributing to this. And you need to examine that. You need to study yourself. We see the psalmist do that in this passage. He says, why are you cast down? Verses 5 and 11. Verse 9, he says, why am I mourning? He's assessing. Why? Why? Why, Why, soul, are you experiencing this? Why is this happening? You need to study yourself. What about your week? What about your life? What about your relationships is contributing to this? We need to study ourselves, and we need to invite others into this process. Because you have blind spots, right? If you're in isolation, in a vacuum, trying to study yourself, you have one perspective on that. You need some other perspectives. You need some community to come around you to help you study yourself. Hey, hey guys, do you see anything in my life? Now, now don't, go to the, don't go to Job's friends for that, right? Go to safe people. Go to people in this room who help you process this and study yourself. Don't go to the people that were taunting him saying, where is your God? Some of us do that, don't we? Like in the midst of a hardship, we go back to our high school friends. We're like, let's just go get drunk. That'll help. Don't, don't process. Don't study yourself with those people. Don't go to the people in your life that you used to know, you used to hang out with, the other couples that you used to hang out with, and, and everybody would just be skeptical and cynical about God. Don't go to those people to study yourself. But find some people in your community group, in this church, that you can study yourself, that you can ask, hey, hey, what do you see in this situation? What do you think is contributing to this dry season, this despair in my life? First thing, study yourself. The second thing, study God. Uh, there's a book that I was looking at by these two Christian counselors called Where is God? And one of the biggest ob- obstacles that they stated that for people to involve God in the midst of their pain was a distorted view of God. That was an obstacle for a lot of people. And they said they gave four views of God that are distorted that prevent us from going to God and studying God in the midst of our pain. The first one, they said, a lot of us view God as angry God, that when I screw up, the ax is going to fall. So he's not safe to go to. The second one was unpleasable God, that I, I could never measure up anyway, and so why try? The third one was disconnected God, that he's busy with some more important things. He had had enough time for me. The fourth distorted view was indulgent God, that he just does what he wants anyway, and he he doesn't really care about me personally. Listen, you need to study yourself, and then you need to quickly study God, his true character, his true nature, that God is sovereign, that God is just, that God is gracious, that God is patient, that God is loving, that God wants you to become more like him, even through the midst of your pain. You need to study God, his true character. Read books. If you're looking for a book to read for the new year, read these two books, A.W. Tozer, Attributes of God. Read J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Study 
God. Look at his word, look at books, talk to other people, and study God. Be reminded of his character, and don't just do it one time, right? Some of you have been walking with Jesus for 20, 30 plus years. Did you just study God once and then check that box? No, right? Big surprise, if you're new to the faith, you're not going to just study God once and then never have to do it again. You have to come back to it over and over and over again, especially in the midst of confusion, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great old preacher, said this. He said, you should preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. And and he wasn't talking about self-talk or positive thinking, right? That's not helpful. It's not just saying, like, you're a snowflake. It doesn't matter what they say. They're just jealous. Let me look at my Facebook profile, remind myself how awesome I am. No, that, that's, not, that's not preaching to yourself, right? That's not what Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm, I'm pretty certain Martin wasn't talking about that, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones, and what I'm talking about to you and what, what we see the psalmist do is preaching truth to yourself, God's truth to yourself. And look at the text with me again, verse 5 and 11, you see this. He asks these questions, but he doesn't just uh, dwell on the questions. He responds quickly with truth that he speaks to himself. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. Who's he talking to in that moment? Himself. His soul He's preaching God's truth to himself. May we be a people who always preach God's truth to ourselves. You don't just listen to yourself. You talk to yourself. You don't just wake up in the morning thinking, yeah, I guess I I am this way, and I guess these things are like this, and I guess this confusion, this turmoil is too much. No, no, no. You, You may think about that for a second, but quickly you go to God's word. You preach the truth to yourself, who he says you are what he says about your situation, that we would study God, we would preach it to ourselves over and over. The last thing is that we would pray anyway. Pray anyway. Study yourself, study God, pray anyway. If you look at the Psalms, they're, they're, they're kind of weird, right? I mean, even just this one, if you just think about it, he doesn't feel close to God. He doesn't feel like his prayers are moving beyond the ceiling and getting to God. Yet what is he doing? What is he doing? He's praying. In his specific case, it's not just like, like we experience, like, God, I, I just I want to read your word, but I'm not really feeling it, and I don't really hear your voice right now. In his case, it's, it's not that he just doesn't hear his voice or doesn't feel like he does. God is actually speaking his voice through him. He's writing the Bible. You think about that? In the midst of his darkest moment, where he doesn't feel like God is there, He's going to God as if he's there, right? Pray anyway. You don't feel like God is there? You don't want to pray? Tell God that. Some of you, your first prayer today needs to be that. God, I don't know if you're there, but I pray that you would be. I pray that you would hear my prayer. God, I don't really want to pray to you, but I just want to tell you that, and I want that to change in my life. Pray anyway. Study yourself. Study God. Pray anyway. Listen, God wants to come to you in the midst of your confusion. Confusion. He wants to bring clarity. 1 Corinthians 14 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is a verse to put on your mirror. This is a verse to to hang on to, to, to point you to your true hope, that God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't want you to stay there. He's a God of peace. 
what's one of the most common ways that God talks about us in the Bible? How does he refer to us? Those who follow God believe in Jesus. His children, exactly. He talks about us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. He talks about us in Ephesians 1, being adopted into his family. Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and the first thing he says is, our Father. And so if you know Jesus this morning, it's like you're his kid. And I'm a parent. Some of you are parents. When your kids are confused, when your kids doubt, what do you want to do in that moment? Do you want to send them away? Like, run along and play, kids. Let me know how that goes. Or do you want to pull them close? You want to pull them close, right? Especially in the midst of their confusion, especially in the midst of their doubt. I know my seven-year-old daughter, she's experienced some loss at her school. Some crazy things have happened. A kid got cancer, passed away. She, he was in his, her first grade class a year ago, less than a year ago. Um, um, a dad of a kid in her current class got hit by a drunk driver, passed away. That's happened in my daughter's life, seven years old, in the past year. And so she's come to me, and she's asked me a lot about heaven. Like, Dad, how do we get to heaven? Who all goes to heaven? What if, you know, a lot of hard questions, to be honest with you. But in that moment, you know what I don't do? I don't just say, hey, I don't have time for that right now. Can you, that's, that's a hard question. I can't be bothered with that right now. I'm getting ready for the Super Bowl. Is that what I say as her dad? No. I pull her close. I talk about heaven. I, I, I say, let's look at scripture. Let's discover that together. I pull her close. Listen, if you know Jesus, you are his child, and he's a way better father than I am, right? He's a way better dad than I am. He's not going to send you away in the midst of your confusion. He's going to pull you close. He's going to bring clarity because he's a, a God of peace, not confusion, some of you might not be convinced, and you think, well, Tim, how do you know for sure? Like, how do you know for my situation? I think we just look at the life of Jesus. We compare it to this psalm. Verse 9 in this psalm, the psalmist cries out, why have you forgotten me? Jesus on the cross cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist feels like he's dying inside, right? You look at the text, he feels like he's dying inside in his soul, you look to Jesus, he was actually dying on the cross. The, the psalmist feels like God's not there, he's turned his back on him. You look at Jesus, God actually did turn his back on him, right? That he took on all of our sin, that he became sin for us, scripture tells us. So he bore God's wrath, that God turned his face away in the midst of his death on the cross, and so how do you really know God wants to bring clarity in the midst of your confusion? You look to the cross. That no matter what kind of despair or dry season you may be experiencing, you can know that you'll never experience ultimate despair because Jesus experienced that for you. That he took it all for you. So that today, 2,000 years later, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your trouble, you can know God is with me. God is for me. He's fully, finally, freely forgiven me. I am with him. He is with me, even in the midst of my confusion. How do we know for sure there's clarity in the cross? There's clarity in the cross. 
Jesus guaranteed that for you. And so listen, as we close, we need to go to Jesus in the midst of our confusion. We don't need to avoid him. We need to go to him. and We need to speak honestly to him. Pray first in your confusion. That's what that means. Just like the psalmist did. You would even say this morning, the best prayer you could say this morning for some of you would be, God, I don't want to pray right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. God, work in my life, work in my heart, align my heart and mind with yours. And so I don't want to just talk about that. I want to do that. I want to practice this with you this morning. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And they're going to play over you. And just for a couple minutes, right where you are, you're going to pray. Some of you are scared out of your mind right now, right? Like, I'm going to pray in front of other people. You can pray by yourself. You can pray with the person who brought you. I mean, I would love it if you did group up. We need some other people in our life. We need this community thing to happen not just during the week but on Sunday mornings. And so I would love it if you, if you prayed with some other people. Uh, we're going to have two people in the back on both sides that if you are in the midst of a dry season and in the midst of despair and you just think, I don't know if I just want to talk to the person next to me. I'd love to talk to someone, though. We're going to have people in the back. They'll have lanyards on that say, I can help, and they'd love to just to spend a few minutes praying with you. We're going to sing songs in a second, but listen, uh, Pray first, even if we're singing songs and you're not done yet, we want you to keep praying. These uh, men and women in the back are going to be there just for that purpose so you can pray. And so I'm going to take a seat and pray. I invite you guys to pray now, and then we'll come back up and sing.